Today we're continuing in our message series, Life Lessons. And in this series, we're going through the book of James, and we're learning some very practical lessons that apply directly to our lives today. Last Sunday, our message was entitled, Dealing with Trials. And if you missed it, all our messages are online on our website, lifechurchstlouis.org. If you missed it, I think it was an important message, especially with the start of this series, and dealing with topics that have to do with where we're at in America today. So I'd encourage you, if you missed it, to watch that. Well, today our message is entitled, Faith in Action. So let's start out by talking about what is faith. Faith is not simply believing in God. James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so many people believe that God exists. People believe that there is one true God, but do they have faith? Are they true believers? Well, if that's the extent of their faith, the answer is no. James, in his very direct language, tells us that even demons believe that God exists and that he is the one true God. And yet these same demons are in direct rebellion and warfare against God and his church. And so as we go through James, what is the faith that he is talking about if it's not simply to believe that God exists? Well, we talk about true faith at the end of every service here at Life Church. And in a very simple format, I've summarized the teaching of the whole Bible on how one becomes a true believer. The first step is A, simply to admit that you have sinned. Repent and turn away from that sin and ask for forgiveness. B, you must believe. Believe and trust your life to Jesus Christ who died on the cross that your sins might be forgiven and he rose again on the third day. C, you commit your life to Jesus Christ to follow him as your Lord and Savior for the rest of your life. And that, that is the essence of becoming a true believer. Each of these three steps is essential to understand in one degree or another. Now, unfortunately, many people today claim to be Christians, claim to be believers, but on closer examination, they are not. Some simply believe in God, and we've already demonstrated from James that that is not sufficient. Others have asked Jesus to forgive their sins because they want to go to heaven. They want to have uh, an eternity with God. But yet, there has been no true repentance, no true turning away from sin, nor has there been a true commitment to follow Jesus as their Lord and the things that he tells us to do. And yet others give the appearance of being believers, but they have evil motives inside. Jesus spoke of those kind of people that he called false prophets. He said they come in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep, a member of God's flock. But he said inside they are like ravenous wolves. How can we distinguish a false prophet from a true prophet? Well, Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, verse 16, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And so a true believer or a true prophet for that matter will have proper or correct beliefs. But that is not enough. The fruit of their lives must be good fruit. 
fruit that honors God. And so what is the good fruit that is the evidence of a true believer? Well, their actions and their attitudes must be in keeping with the word of God. The fruit of a person's life is the result, is the outflowing of what's going on in a person's heart. Jesus put it this way in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so those who love Jesus, those who are true believers, have a relationship with him as their Lord and Savior. And so they will obey the things he tells them to do. And so obedience to Jesus is a good fruit of a person who believes in and loves Jesus. And so faith in and love for Jesus demonstrates itself through outward action. On the other hand, the absence of good fruit or the absence of obedience to Jesus indicates that someone is not a true believer. So let's see how that works with respect to the false prophets that Jesus was talking about. He summarizes his view of those in Matthew 7, verse 20. He says, thus you will recognize them, the false prophets, by their fruits. And so you can discern a true prophet, someone who is speaking for God, someone who is a true believer from a false prophet by their fruits. And you can discern true believers from false believers in the same way. And so with that introduction, we're going to dive into James chapter 2 this morning to learn how to express our faith in action to those around us. And so good fruit consists of actions that we don't do as well as actions that we do perform. So the first major topic of chapter 2 in James is that he is instructing us to avoid discrimination. He begins in verse 1 and says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so the letter of James is addressed to believers. They're called brothers here. And he says that they have faith in Jesus. And the command here is to show no partiality. The dictionary defines partiality as an unfair bias in favor of one person compared to another. And so by showing partiality, favoring one person, you are, in effect, also discriminating against the other, the other person. Now, James gives us a practical example of that in the next verses, verses 2 to 4 of chapter 2. He says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And so the example that James gives us here has to do with how believers would treat a rich man versus a poor man who visited their church. Now, how would they know someone was rich compared to someone who was poor? Well, by their dress. In the days of James, the vast majority of people were poor. And they made all their own clothes. The rich, on the other hand, a very small minority, had their clothes made for them. And so it was easy to distinguish by their clothing. Now, why would people favor the rich within the church? Well, James says to do that is having evil thoughts. It could be the desire to, well, if this rich person is in the church, perhaps I could become friends with him and he would show me some favor or 
share some of his wealth with me. Or perhaps it would be, perhaps the rich man could give more money to the church. In either case, this discrimination on view here, or partiality as James calls it in this translation, would be based not on a person's heart, but on their outward characteristics, such as their clothing or jewelry, which told someone how much wealth or how wealthy they were. James goes on to say in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? And so James then is reminding the believers that those who are poor in the world, which would be most of the believers that he was writing to, that they are actually spiritually rich. Now in this example of the rich man and the poor man coming into the church, James is not really addressing whether the rich man or poor man are believers or not. In fact, for the sake of the illustration, it really doesn't matter. The point is that we should not show partiality based on outward appearance or status. We should treat everybody the same with the love of Jesus. And so good fruit of a genuine faith avoids all kinds of discrimination. Now in our world today, we see an enormous amount of discussion about a form of discrimination called racism. In fact, it seems like everybody is calling somebody else a racist. If somebody calls somebody a racist, they call them a racist right back. And oftentimes the word has little meaning. The dictionary defines racism as prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group. And so generally speaking, you would identify a person as being part of a racial group by external characteristics, such as their language or how they, sp or how they speak, their skin color, or other physical appearance features. Now the general principles in our passage thus far today and throughout the Bible would absolutely condemn this kind of racism of any kind. Now, discrimination is not always against a minority. As we were talking about in the case, the example that James brings us, the rich were not the majority persecuting the poor as the minority. No, the poor were the vast majority, 98% plus. The rich were, were a, a very small minority, but they held most of the power. In the same way today, racism can be held by any racial group against any other group. It's wrong whether it's from a majority oppressing a minority or holding racist views to a minority, or a minority holding racist views toward a majority. Both are wrong. Discrimination and racism are bad fruit. And where do they come from? They come from bad attitudes in our hearts. And they are sin. And so James is writing this letter, not to unbelievers, but to believers, to bring conviction to their sin of discrimination. In first case, between the rich and the poor, but it applies to many other forms of discrimination. And so God wants us today to look inside of our own hearts and make sure that we don't show partiality based on outward appearances. God may also be calling us to be like James and to point out the sin of discrimination in others so that they can avoid partiality. It's also our duty as, as Christian citizens to do what we can to make sure that our laws, 
and our government do not discriminate in any direction, but treat people equally. Now, not only must we avoid discrimination, we must also learn to love our neighbors. And these are going to be closely related in the second chapter of James. Let's read verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And so James now brings us to, to a, a very important biblical principle. He's quoting from Leviticus 19, verse 18. And of course, this, this verse is quoted and taught by Jesus himself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we truly love our neighbor as ourselves, that will be the end to discrimination. That will be the end to all racism. If our neighbor is different from us in any way, and we love him as we love ourselves, there will be no partiality. We'll treat everyone the same as Jesus would treat them. James tells us in verse 9, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And so discrimination or partiality, it's a sin. It's absolutely clear here. It, it must be repented of and turned away from. And as we go on in the verses, we're not going to be able to go through every verse this morning. In James chapter 2, we'd encourage you to read it during the week. James makes it clear we are not to think of discrimination as simply a minor sin. That really doesn't matter. When we're convicted of it, we need to repent and we need to seek God's help. Why is it a sin? It's a sin because we are not loving our neighbor as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? Well, in the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus, uh, the parable of the prodigal, Jesus taught us that our neighbor is anyone that we, or the, sorry, the parable of the good Samaritan, Jesus taught us that our neighbor is anyone that we are in contact with, anyone who has need that is around us that we need to show love to. Now, James concludes this section of chapter 2 in verse 12. He says, so speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so as believers, God has shown us mercy by forgiving our sins. He set us free from sin. He set us free from judgment for those sins, from an eternal destiny apart from God because of those sins. And as God has shown us mercy, we ought to show mercy to those around us. And showing that mercy and love, we must show it even to those who have not treated us properly, even those who have treated us unkindly or hatefully. Discrimination, in a sense, is, is judging another person unfairly, simply by their outward appearance or characteristics. Rather, we are to judge fairly and to show everyone mercy. And we need God's help to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's think for a minute about the love that we are to show our neighbors. The Greek word for love in this instruction, love your neighbor as yourself here in James, is the Greek word agape. Agape love is God's unconditional love for us and is the kind of love that we are to love others with. Now our natural human tendency without God's help is to show conditional love to others. If somebody else treats me nicely, if they treat me kindly, if they are polite to me, then I will show them love. If they treat me badly, then I would tend not to show them love. That's conditional love. 
That is not the kind of love that God is calling us to exercise. God loved us unconditionally. When we were in rebellion against him, when we were yet sinners. And so in the same way, we are to show God's love to everyone, even those who are different than us, even those who don't treat us with love. Unconditional agape love is the most powerful love that exists. We can't create it on our own. We can't work it up. But as we receive God's unconditional agape love into our hearts, into our lives, then we can let that same love flow through us to love other people in the same way. Now, there are elements of every culture and every group that are wrong, that are sinful. And the fact, the matter is true. Some cultures are more sinful than others. And yet God loves each and every person, no matter what culture or group that they are part of. And he commands us to love them with the same love. And as we do that, as we grow in showing that kind of love, we become part of the solution to the divisions in our nation rather than part of the problem. And as we show God's love, that love can draw people to himself so that they can experience and in turn spread God's love to others. Finally, James tells us to work out our faith, to work your faith. Let's move down to verse 14 of chapter 2. And James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So in this very last section of the chapter 2, we're going to be looking at how faith should be expressed in our lives. Remember back in the introduction of this message, we talked about how faith is expressed as fruit in our lives. And so James begins by talking about people who say they have faith, say that they are genuine believers, but their lives don't show it. They don't have the works that should be there. Now, the works that James is talking about here are basically the expression of loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so we ask the question, is it possible to have genuine faith without the evidence of works or fruit? To answer that question, he he gives us another example. In verse 15, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for, their, for the body, what good is that? Well, you notice in this example, James is describing who? He's describing a poor person. A poor person who's poorly dressed, just like in his first example, and in this case, lacks the necessities of life. Now, this is the kind of person that James was warning us against discriminating against or discriminating towards. Now, if we say to this poor person some nice words, but we do nothing to help them with their need, there is a problem. James is saying that that isn't good. And what is the problem? Well, we are not loving our neighbor as ourselves. If we were poorly clothed, if we lacked food, what would we do? We'd try to get better clothing. We'd try to get food for ourselves. And so... That is how we should show love to our neighbor, in this case, to this poor person. And so James concludes that section in verse 17. He says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so James concludes that faith without works is dead. In other words, the person that claimed to have faith, since their faith was not expressed in works, it was not genuine. Because all genuine faith will express itself in works of love to others. That will be the fruit 
of the life of a true believer. James then goes on to give an example from the Old Testament in verse 21. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And so James is referring back to an amazing story from Genesis chapter 22. In that story, God directed Abraham to offer up his only son Isaac the son of promise, as a sacrifice to God. And in my mind, this is undoubtedly the greatest test that God ever gave a human being apart from Jesus going to the cross. And yet Abraham knew that he had heard from God. He was convinced God had spoken to him. He believed, Hebrews tells us, that even if he sacrificed his son and his son died, God was able to raise him from the dead because this was the son of promise. And so as Abraham prepared to slay his son with a knife, suddenly an angel appeared from heaven and stopped his hand and provided a sacrifice from a ram in the thicket. And so Abraham's faith was demonstrated in obedience to God's instruction. That is how his faith was completed by his works, by his actions. James goes on to give another example from the story of Rahab who turned from a life of sin to being part of the people of God. She risked her life to save the Israelite spies and showed her faith by those actions. You can read that on your own in James chapter 2. And James concludes chapter 2 with these verses in verse 26. He says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And so you see a person... When their spirit leaves their body, they die. They're dead. The spirit has to be in our body in order for us to be alive. You can't have an alive person without a spirit. And so in the same way, you, you also can't have a living faith or you, without these works being expressed. You can only have a living faith if they're expressed in works of love and obedience. And so works are the fruit of a living faith and God calls us to work out our faith. Now, we need to be careful in this discussion of faith and works. And here's some of the reasons, the things that we have to think about. Most people in America believe that they are a Christian because they are basically a good person. And what that means is they they do some good things. They help people. They are kind to people. They do good things in their lives. And therefore, they believe they are saved. I forget the statistics, but like 98% of people think they're going to heaven. You ask them why, well, I'm a good person. I I do good things. There's a lot of people uh, worse than me. But Paul, in his letters in the New Testament, goes to great length to show us that a person cannot be saved by the good works that they do. And the reason is that everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And no amount of good works can ever atone for those sins. And so the only solution to our sins is to put our faith in Jesus Christ to forgive our sin. Now what James is teaching us today does not contradict Paul. It does not contradict the rest of the New Testament, but builds upon that teaching. James agrees with Paul. Faith in Christ must come first. And then we see the evidence of that faith in good works. Good works of love and obedience that the believer does. The teaching of Paul warns against the notion that being a good person can save you. It can't. 
The teaching of James warns against the notion that you can be a believer or say you are a believer, but not show the fruit of obedience in God's love in your life. The good works or fruit of a believer's life have great value. They show God's love both within the church and outside the church. They enhance our witness and help build the church. And so James instructs us that, that we must we must work out our faith. And so today we've looked at how to put our faith into action. We must avoid discrimination, partiality, or racism of all kinds. God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. In other words, we must treat everyone equally as we choose to treat ourselves. We are to ask God to help us to love others with His unconditional agape love. And finally, true faith always expresses itself in works. These works consist of obedience to God as we show His love to those around us. And these works are the result of a living faith. They're not the origin of it. The works that God calls us to do are the fruit of our faith in Jesus Christ. And as we put our faith into action, God will help us to change our world for Him. Now this morning I want to give you an example or a, an opportunity to become a believer, a true believer, as the Bible instructs us. Already talked about it, we're going to go over it again because I'd like you to pray with me. If you're not sure you're a believer or perhaps you made a commitment in the past but you know you've drifted away from that commitment. And so to become a true believer, a true follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God, you need to do three things. A, you need to admit that you've sinned. Repent and turn away from that sin. Ask Jesus to forgive you. Believe, be, believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins and rose from the dead three days later and alive, is alive today. And finally, see, commit your life to following Jesus as your Lord, to doing the things he tells you to do through his word and by his spirit. So I'd encourage you to pray along with me as I pray. This is the most important decision of your life. So let's pray together. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. And today I repent. I turn away from those things. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross that my sins might be forgiven. He paid the penalty for my sin and he rose from the dead three days later. I believe in him. I put my trust in him. And I commit my life to following Him as the risen Savior, as my Lord, and obeying everything He tells me to do through His Word and by His Spirit. Thank You for changing my life. And for the rest of us, let's pray as well. Father, we, we thank You for this very clear and practical teaching from James. Forgive us for the times when we've shown partiality towards others in one way or another. Perhaps it was just in our thoughts. And we didn't speak or say anything, but we thought it. God, please forgive us. Today we ask you to help us to love our neighbors, whoever they may be, as ourselves. We need your help to show others your unconditional agape love. Forgive us for thinking that just having the right beliefs is all that we needed to be a believer or your follower. Help us to have ears to hear the things that you're calling us to do through your word. And by your spirit, we want to express our faith 
in good works that will change our world and impact our neighbors. We thank you for giving us the power through your spirit to put our faith into action. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, if you made a commitment to Jesus Christ or would like more information, I'd encourage you to connect with us. There should be a link below this video. And uh, just click the link. And uh, we'll be able to connect with you. We'll pray with you, offer you some helpful materials. You can find more information on our website, lifechurchstlouis.org. And we do have Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. at our at our uh, facility at 15036 Clayton Road in Chesterfield. We invite you to attend if you live in the St. Louis area. Next Sunday, we're going to be continuing our message series, Life Lessons from the Book of James. And the message is entitled, Tame Your Tongue. Online donations to help us reach more people for Jesus Christ are available at uh, lifechurchstlouis.org slash give. You can find a link on our website as well. And so God bless you. Have a great week. Put your faith into action.